want to welcome all of you. We are absolutely honored to have you here with us. Even though you're not here in person via live stream, it means so much to, um, that we're connecting in this way. Hey, before we get started with our lesson this morning, I want to remind you of an incredibly important aspect of our worship, that is our regular offerings and tithes that we bring to the Lord. And even though we're not able to meet here in person, we want to let you know how you can participate in worshiping in that way. You can certainly mail a check to the church building, which number of you do. You can go online to our website. There on the homepage, uh, we have a, a little button there that says give or giving click on that follow the easy instructions you can go to your bank and then very easily set up an online a draft through your bank as well or what I would love for you to do is if you want to do what we've done in the past I'm going to be sitting in my office Tuesday morning if you want to stop by and drop it off and say hi to me that would absolutely mean the world to me so now we're not going to let our children go to junior worship but what we are going to do is kids you received from Taylor and Laureen a set of notes for you to follow along with this morning. So I'm going to encourage you to get those out and with your moms and dads follow along. Everybody else take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke. Book of Luke and we're going to jump forward in our series right now to chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. So today, some of you are aware, some of you are not. Today is the third Sunday of January and as a result, this was a day in 1984 that was set aside by then President Ronald Reagan as to be the, the National Sanctity of life, Human Life Sunday. It was a day our nation said, okay, we're going to set this aside as a special Sunday in January, uh, a day of prayer. It's a, del- a day to celebrate the gift of God's life. It's a, a day to, to commit to care for and to protect human life at every stage from conception to natural death, from, or you might could say from womb to tomb, and also to care for and be sensitive to dear, precious, hurting, pregnant mothers who are feeling so helpless and confused and hopeless. That's the focus of today, but then if you're aware of our national holidays, as tomorrow is the third Monday of January, we as a nation are also honoring Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and this is the day that was also designated by President Reagan as a federal holiday, honoring Dr. King and honoring his his incredible influence and his work through through peaceful activism, nonviolent activism, to confront the racism in our nation and the segregation that was there, and, and which his work helped to pass and enact into law laws such as the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. But as you see on the slide that's on the screen right now, the intention for Martin Luther King Jr. Day is not to be a national holiday where we are all off and we take off from work. It's a day to be on. It's a day to be active. It's a day to serve and to work to further the cause of, of unity and love and, and to work against and, and the cause of, of um of God's people, the folks of us here in America working together and to work for civil rights. But while it's good and it's appropriate today to remember human life, while it's good and appropriate for us to remember Martin Luther King Jr. and his his work years ago, it's one thing to remember, but it's another thing to let those memories stir us as God's people to 
to stand up and to step out and be an active force in our world, in our nation, to further these causes. Today and tomorrow should cause us to ask the question, what should we as disciples of Jesus Christ, what is our role in this? What should we do? And so therefore, because of this, I decided we're supposed to be in, I think, chapter 3 of Luke. I want us to jump forward into Luke chapter 10, where we find a passage that works not only to transform our hearts into hearts of compassion and mercy and love, but to transform our hands and our feet into actions to truly be followers of Jesus that make a difference. Of the four gospel writers telling the story of Jesus, I would suggest that none do a better job of showing Jesus as the one who had a heart for the underdog, who cared for the hopeless and the helpless and the desperate. Luke does a phenomenal job showing Jesus in this way. And as you read through Luke, of all that Luke wrote about this character and this personality of Jesus, perhaps the best place to find it is in this very familiar parable called the Good Samaritan. And so what I want us to do this this morning and next week, we're going to spend, this is a huge, huge, huge teaching, so much here that I thought we can't rush through it. I want to spend two Sundays looking at this particular passage This Sunday, we're not even going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. For the most part, we're going to look at the stage that was set, the verses that set the stage for this particular parable. And then next week, we're going to jump deeply into it. And so let's enter the story now in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, typically, when we read further, when we go into the parable of the Good Samaritan, most of our attention is really given to the poor fellow lying on the side of the road almost dead. Or our focus is attention is to the, the Levite and the priest that walk past him. Or our focus of our attention is on the Samaritan who stopped and helped him. But it's important to notice here that the one to whom Jesus is speaking and that the one that he's working on here in this story is this man that is identified in the NIV as an expert in the law. Or actually, more literally, you could translate it in the King James Version. It's properly translated, he was a lawyer. And so what I want us to do today and next week is to really look at the message Jesus had to this particular lawyer. And as we do so, I think we're going to find the message that he has for us as well. Now, just to clarify, this lawyer was not a a criminal lawyer or a civil lawyer as we understand them today. This lawyer was one who had an expertise in the Old Testament laws of Israel. He was, um, you could call him something of a religious lawyer. And his story reminds me of a story I heard some time ago of a lawyer who had a very unusual name. His name literally was Odd. O-D-D it was spelled Mr. Odd. And so you can imagine for this lawyer how rough life must have been for him and the troubles that he had because, you know, people were making fun of him and mocking him for having the name Mr. Odd. And so he decided, you know what, as he got closer to the end of his life, I've been plagued with this name all my life. People have mocked me and made fun of me because my name is Odd. At least that's not going to happen in my death. And so he decided to have it put into his will that when I die on my tombstone, I don't want my name to be there. I want this to end. Sure enough, he died, 
And so they buried him and they put on the tombstone only these words, here lies an honest lawyer. And people would walk past his tombstone in the cemetery. They'd look at it, they'd read it, and they'd go, hey, that's odd. (laughs) Well, Well, the point of that joke is not true for all lawyers, and it's certainly not true for our lawyer, Ron Williams. Ron, I want you to know that next time you stand here, and in any way, sir, you're welcome to tell a preacher's joke. While that joke is not true for all lawyers, it's definitely true For the lawyer in this story, he was a dishonest lawyer. He was dishonest in two ways. First of all, he wasn't being straight up with Jesus. He came to ask Jesus a question, but his question was not sincere. He was manipulating Jesus. He was working Jesus, attempting to, that is, to test and trap Jesus through the question. So as Jesus would give an answer, and thus it would disprove the claims of Jesus being from God. But he wasn't just being dishonest with Christ, but I believe he was also being dishonest with himself. This lawyer, this religious expert, was lying to himself by believing and living by a lie. And I'm thinking there's a lot of us who are probably doing that as well. But Jesus is so wonderful in his character. He doesn't just blow this guy off or shove him away. He loves this guy. And and he, and he presses into his heart seeking to bring truth into his heart of deceit. And I believe he's doing the same thing for us as well today also. We see in verse 25 that this religious lawyer asked Jesus this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So the guy starts out, well, great question. I would suggest this is the most important question all of us should be asking and it reveals an incredibly important truth I think that we need to be reminded of that there's something more than what's going on here there is actually life after death on this earth we leave life on this earth upon death and we enter into life eternal and eternal life referred to here is life eternal with God so let me ask you this very simple question before we continue on with the story do you have eternal life if you died today do you know that you would have eternal life with God forever listen if your answer is no or if your answer is man I don't know we want to encourage you to contact us talk to us we can share with you how Jesus makes a difference in bringing eternal life into your life now, I want you to notice how in this question, this man asked something very interesting. He says, what must I do? And this is the word I want you to pay attention to, to inherit eternal life. So inherent in inheriting is the notion that salvation is not something that you work for and do and therefore you get it. It's rather something that you freely receive because of your familial status with your parents. I'm my father's son. Therefore, I am not because I have done certain things, but simply I am by birth my father's heir. Isn't that right, Dad? My inheritance with God in eternal life is is the same. It's true for us in our relationship with God the Father. My inheritance 
is not something that I earn and I deserve because I've done certain things, but it is a gift of grace given to me by God the Father upon my spiritual rebirth as a child of God when I place my faith in Jesus Christ. So this is where this lawyer was believing and living by a lie. Because notice with the words, he didn't say, how do I inherit eternal life? He said, what must I do to inherit, you don't do something, you're just born into it. But he said, what must I do? And so it's clear that he believed whatever God had for him and whatever eternal life he would receive, it was something that you earn and something that you deserve by what you do. And as you read on, you discovered he realized that he had done it and that he had earned it, that he had deserved it. So cleverly, Jesus takes this trick question, he turns it around, and in verse 26, he says to them, well... What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? Meaning, hey, man, you're the lawyer. You're the expert in the law. I mean, you should know the answer to your own question. And keep reading and notice that this guy did. He knew the answer well. Verse 27, he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so quoting from two Old Testament passages from Deuteronomy 6 and from Leviticus 19, this lawyer gives the correct answer. Loving God and loving others. You get that. You've got it all, basically speaking. And so Jesus said to him in verse 28, you've answered correctly. But then notice what he says. Do this. You see, the doing, very likely what this guy was lacking. Well, actually it was, not very likely. Do this and you will live. But the question is, well, who does this, really? Who of us loves God and others to the point that we deserve eternal life? If, if we were being honest with ourselves as Jesus is trying to help this lawyer do with himself, we would say, man, I, I really don't love God and others as I should. I really haven't earned eternal life. I really haven't perfectly followed the law. See, I think a mistake we make as we enter into the parable of the Good Samaritan is thinking that this guy, this Samaritan, based upon what he did, he had earned and deserved eternal life because he did the right things. I think a mistake even that we make with the parable of the Good Samaritan is calling him a good Samaritan. Because you're going to read later on, what is it in Luke, um, Luke chapter 18? It's a very similar conversation that Jesus has with another man, almost just like the man in this story. And he says to this man, whoa, 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 there is no one good but God alone. None of us, not, only, not even this wonderful Samaritan in the parable we'll see next week, are good enough by what we do to inherit eternal life. But this guy... He thought that he was. And Jesus is trying to change that because it's not true. So notice what this guy does with Jesus in verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked, and who is my neighbor? So now it's important to ask, understand when it says he wanted to justify himself, he wanted to prove, he wanted to make sure Jesus understood as he clearly understood that he was good with God. He was righteous, meaning he was right with God. He was justified before 
God by his actions, by his following in the law. He had earned it. He had earned eternal life. And so now he wants to prove the point by asking Jesus another question, setting Jesus up with the expectation of Jesus giving the answer so Jesus will help prove what this guy already knew about himself. He's basically fishing for a compliment. You ever had somebody do that with you? Where they're asking you a question, but you know, really, they think they already know the answer. They're just wanting you to validate it with answering it himself, yourself. And so his question to Jesus was, well, who is my neighbor? And here's what he had in mind when he, had, when he said, who is my neighbor? He closed his eyes. He had a clear understanding of it because Jewish people in his day, the good church-going, Bible-believing people of his day, like this lawyer, they had a very clear idea of who their neighbor was, of whom they were to love. And it was a really tight circle. It was, it was nationalistic. It was very isolationist. You loved people from the same country. You love people who speak the same language as you do. You love people who have the same accent that you do. You love people that have the same skin color that you do. You love people that have the same color eyes, that have the same color hair, that have the same kind of hair. You, you love people who have the same heritage that you do, who believe the way that you believe according to the religion and that you're a part of. You love people who have worship styles that are like your worship styles. You love people who like music like you like music. You love people who love you and treat you well. But the rabbis said, not with your enemies. As a matter of fact, Jesus made this clear in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you've heard that it was said, meaning this is what the rabbis teach you. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was, that was the teaching of the day. You don't love your enemy. You hate your enemy. You do not have to love the stranger, the different person, the person that's been unkind to you, the person that has hurt you. And so for this lawyer within this tight circle of those whom he loved as his neighbors, he was good with God. He had loved his neighbor, and now he's just waiting on Jesus to validate it with a follow-up answer to his question. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't answer him according to what he expected. Jesus didn't answer him according to what he wanted to hear, but Jesus answered him according to what he needed to hear with the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we'll see that next week. With this parable, it's like Jesus crushes this man's self-righteousness. And with this parable, he's wanting this lawyer to see a reflection of himself in the priest and the Levite. These good, religious, Bible-believing, church-going people who thought they had eternal life, but, but they didn't because they clearly did not truly love God and others as they should. And Jesus shows him by this parable and by the example of the, the Samaritan in the story how miserably this lawyer falls short of loving others as he should. And through this story, as we'll see next week, he helps this lawyer understand the racial animosity that he carried in his heart and his neglect in his life for the hurting and for the helpless. 
He's eroding away the confidence this, this man had in eternal life based upon what he had done. And you think, well, that doesn't feel very nice. Why is he doing that? Because he loves this guy. And he's wanting to open his eyes and his heart to Christ. See, I'm wondering, could it be that in telling the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus wanted this lawyer to see a reflection of himself in the man who was lying on the side of the road, hurting and dying, to help this lawyer realize that actually he's that man, to help him realize how lost he was and how much he needed someone to come to him and to stop and to show him mercy, and thus to realize that that someone was standing right before him. I believe Jesus is pulling this man into himself. You see, here's what's really important, is that the first step, is we'll look at an example of someone who loved the neighbor, the first step in loving your neighbor is to first realize how much you need God's love is to first realize how much God has loved you because we see in scripture when we stood opposed to God we were his enemies Romans 5 tells us but as his enemies Jesus came to this earth and he took his life for us he showed his love to us he stopped on the side of the road and showed mercy and reached out to us and brought us back to life and when you get that when you grasp his goodness to the desperation of our lives, then that sets you on the course to in turn love others as he has loved you. How can you do anything else? The Apostle John writes in his first epistle, we love because he first loved us. Jesus teaches earlier in Luke chapter 7, he says, he who is forgiven much we're all forgiven much. Some of us just don't realize it. But he who gets that, he who is forgiven much, loves much. And so Jesus wants this man, in order to love God and others as you should, you need to understand how much you need God's forgiveness. You see, we learn the way of life when we find the way to life. We learn the way of life, which is, which is the story of the Samaritan. This is how you live it, but not to get eternal life, but because we've learned the way to life, which is Jesus. I believe that's what Jesus is trying to bring into this man's understanding so that he can learn to see himself as God sees him, as God has loved him, so that he may love and see others in the same way. Some years ago, in, 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 in Ann Arbor, Michigan, there was a Ku Klux Klan rally. And upon hearing that there was going to be this rally on this particular day, there were others who couldn't bear the thought of that. And they said, we're going to go there and we're going to protest against the Ku Klux Klan. We're going to protest against their hatred. And so the police anticipating that there was going to be this big KKK rally and there was going to also be these that were going to be protesting against them, they got a head start and they set up a, a big barrier where the protesters against the Klan would be over here and the Klan would have their rally over here. And so on the day of the rally... There was a lot of chaos, a lot of shouting, and a lot of screaming. And in the confusion of their day, there was this one guy who was basically supposed to be on the side of the Ku Klux Klan, but somehow he got confused and he found himself 
in enemy territory on the side of those that were protesting against his group. And the problem with that was, and this is a real picture, you can do a fact check on this on Google, true story I'm telling you, he had a, he had a, 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 a t-shirt that a picture of the Confederate flag and he had these tattoos, these white supremacist tattoos. People on that side saw him. And the, one, of the, one of the women who had one of the loud uh, megaphones or whatever you want to call them, she says, there's a Klansman among us and someone else yelled out, kill the Nazi, kill the Nazi. And so they just jumped on him and they started beating him senseless. You see that hatred and violence for hatred and violence. Is that not what we see too much? And in the chaos of the moment, this 18-year-old African-American girl named Keisha Thomas jumped out of the crowd and she threw herself on his body to protect him. She risked her life to save someone who probably would not have done the same for her. She risked her life to save someone who was regarded as her enemy and certainly regarded her as his enemy. She loved her neighbor, who was her enemy. Later on, when Keisha was interviewed and asked, why did you do what you do? She, she spoke of her faith and how her faith in, in Christ made a difference. And she stated these words. She says, I knew what it was like to be hurt. I remember that. The many times it happened, I wish someone would have stood up for me. She had been where this man had been. Whether literally or figuratively, she knew what it was like to lie down and to be in a desperate state and how much she needed someone to stop and to care for her. And so she epitomized and personified the very truths that Jesus was attempting to teach this dear religious lawyer and us as well. What it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, through loving your neighbor as yourself. And so today, the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, as we focus on poor, desperate, pregnant mothers feeling so hopeless and confused and helpless and not sure what to do with their unborn children, as we remember and focus on the fate of the helpless unborn. And then tomorrow, as we remember the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. and his work against hatred and racism, may we do more than remember. May tomorrow not just be a holiday and a day off, but may it be a day on, a day to act, a day to consider how we can show love and mercy to others as God has done for us. And it's daunting with the tensions and the conflicts and the disunity we see with the fights over abortion and racism and the political arena and anything. How can anything that I do make a difference? Keisha, as a result of what she did on that day, she has actually been given a, a national platform for speaking throughout the world against racial hatred in its various forms. And I love these words of hers, and I'll close with them. She says, 
the biggest thing you can do is to be kind to another human being. It doesn't have to be a, a huge, monumental act. Small acts of random kindness that become seeds of change, change in individuals' lives that leads to change in our world. Let's pray together. And as we, as we pray, I, I want to share with you this, that after my prayer, I want to encourage you to get your phones out and to reach out to one another. We're not able to be together like we'd prefer to be. And um, our shepherds are available, elders at eastsidesprings.com. I want you to contact them and say, hey, would you pray with me? And let's call each other. Let's encourage one another. Let, let, let's pray together. So let me start us with a prayer and then let's continue with that prayer. We'll have a song and also give you a chance to reach out for prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these two special days back to back in our nation that focus our attention on things that are important to you that should be important to us and father as today is our national sanctity of life sunday we ask that you would lead us to opportunities to show love and mercy and care to pregnant mothers in our nation who feel so confused and helpless Father, we ask that you would raise us up and, and send us out to be a force of light, a force of influence in our nation, to take the gospel, to change the hearts of people in our nation, that in turn it would change the laws of our nation that allows by law the taking of the lives of so many thousands and millions of un innocent unborn children. And Father, we pray this prayer not only for those who are unborn, but also for those who are already born, but whose lives and futures are at risk. We give ourselves to you to be that army. And tomorrow, Father, as we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day, may you mobilize us to action. Not simply to protest and to proclaim that racism is wrong in our nation, but to carry out daily acts of kindness and love to others. So we ask that you would take these living words of Scripture, which we've heard this morning, and take them by the double-edged sword of your word and penetrate deep into our lives within. Show us how we're like this lawyer that you loved and we're helping in this story. Show us what you're saying to us. Transform our hearts on the inside that you may transform our hearts and our lives on the outside that we may truly be a light in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.